In the late 19th century the most common occupation for Chinese male immigrants was laundryman even though they had no experience with this business back in China. It was not so much their choice, but one of the few ways afforded to Chinese who were excluded from more desirable and better paying work. The life of a laundryman involved long hours, physical stamina, and dealing with many demanding and often racist customers. Due to the Chinese Exclusion Act that started in 1882 and was extended to 1943 when it expired in 1892, many laundrymen, as well as other laborers, lived as bachelors. Those who were married could not bring their wives, and in many cases, children to join them. They endured these lonely existences and led frugal lives so they could send remittances from their hard-earned income to support family, parents, and other relatives in need in China. This obligation was jeopardized by the frequent robberies they suffered. Some were physically assaulted and others murdered. To the public, and even to their second-generation children born in the US and Canada, the Chinese laundryman was seen as a meek Ching Chong Chinaman who spoke in strange sounds, wrote in weird squiggles, wore cues and feminine clothing, and ate strange foods. They could be demanding, generally gave little respect, and even became irate if they could not retrieve their clothes if they lost their tickets, giving rise to the mocking phrase, no ticky, no shirty. But the laundrymen held their tongues suffering in silence, rather than creating more difficulty for themselves with their customers. Yet, inside most laundrymen was trapped a real person, unlike the stoical robotic public image, who had hopes, fears, dreams, and frustrations in living in a white dominant society. My father came as a paper son to the United States in 1921, worked in laundries as an apprentice in the Deep South and then went back to marry in an arranged match in Guangdong in 1928, and then returning to run a laundry in Macon, Georgia, where they and their four children were the only Chinese around for about 100 miles. He arose at the crack of dawn every Monday through Friday and was busy working until we closed about 6 or 7 p.m. Saturday was a shorter workday since there was no washing and ironing, but still very busy as many customers came on Saturday after they got paid to claim their clothes for the weekend. Sundays were time-free from laundry work but sometimes involved some work servicing and repairing equipment. Given the demands of running a laundry, I did not get to learn anything about my father's life in China, his parents and siblings in China, his immigration experiences, his hopes and fears coming to Georgia, his problems with racism, and his personal interests. We had a large cultural gap, and while we had a good relationship, I did not really know who he really was until he retired and moved to San Francisco in 1956, four years after he sent his family there to be in a Chinese community while he stayed alone to run the laundry to support us financially. I slowly began to discover the man my father was outside of his laundryman life. Somehow he discovered the excitement of the stock market and asking me to explain annual reports of corporations he bought stock in. Then he bought me a book about Tai Chi Chuan written in Chinese but with many diagrams that resembled a scientific analysis of the movements. Although he was not a practitioner himself, he seemed to know a fair amount of its foundations. A year later he commissioned a watercolor about three times five feet in size depicting a scene where Quan Yu, the martyred poet during the Warring States period about 400 BC on the verge of drowning himself in protest over conflicts with the emperor's actions. One final example when I was going through his books after he died, I discovered he was reading works of the philosopher Lao Tzu. My father's dual existence, publicly as a laundryman, and much later as a person with varied intellectual views and interests were probably present in hundreds, if not thousands, of other laundrymen who had to deny or were unable to pursue their other interests due to the pressure and dehumanizing demands of being a Chinese laundryman. I will cite another example of this hidden or unseen duality in a Chinese laundryman, Frank Wong, who had a laundry for 40 years in West Hollywood, California. He came to California when he was 15 years old, using a paper name, 
to find work in San Francisco in 1927. Shortly after his arrival, someone informed on his false family, and he was deported. Determined, he got another false paper and on December 13, 1929, under the name Fukui Wong, he was taken to Angel Island with a false brother. Decades later, in the 1950s his fake brother took advantage of a federal amnesty program so that Chinese with false names could confess and reclaim their true names without penalty. As a consequence, immigration authorities realized Fukui had a false identity and they made him confess and surrender his citizenship. He had to wait five years to reapply for citizenship and reclaim his birth name, Moon Tung Wang. I knew the story of Frank Wang and his laundry because one of his daughters, Donna Wang, shared their family experiences in my 2007 book, Chinese Laundries, Tickets to Survival on Gold Mountain. However, the focus was on the family, not the father. Fortunately I discovered a touching short video, Wang Sinsong, that Eddie, the oldest child, created for a college assignment in the late 1960s that depicted his public and private faces as a laundryman. Eddie Wong later served as the executive director of the Angel Island Immigration Station in San Francisco. Eddie Wong's attempt to understand his father's life and those who immigrated to America in search of a better life are contrasted with a study of the grinding lifestyle of their everyday laundryman lives. He juxtaposes stark glimpses of the laundry as obnoxious white customers subject Mr. Wong to daily humiliation and dehumanization, against serene scenes of Mr. Wong practicing Tai Chi outdoors. The director's own confusion over his own father's seeming subservience gives way to a realization that his father has much larger dreams for himself and his family. By the early 1920s, several writers composed poems sympathetic to Chinese laundrymen that vividly depicted the hard life of a laundryman, with its long hours of physical labor and disrespect from many customers and racially prejudiced townspeople. I concluded my book on Chinese laundries by including an excerpt of a poem, The Soul of Sing Li, with this introduction. Ben Heck's 1921 Contemplative Reflections on the Plight of the Life of a Chicago Laundryman, The Soul of Sing Li poetically captured the sense of boredom, frustration, and resignation of the Chinese laundryman. His was a life of monotony and futility day after day, and year after year, trapped in a cycle of cleaning clothes only to have them come back soiled for further cleaning. The world of collars, cuffs, and shirt fronts does not contain Sing Li. It contains merely an automaton. The laundry is owned by an automaton named Sing Li, by nobody else. Now that the day's work is done he will sit like this for an hour, two hours, five hours. Time is not a matter of hours to Sing Li. Or of days. Or even of years. The many wilted collars that come under the lifeless hands of Sing Li tell him an old story. The story has not varied for 35 years. A solution of water, soap, and starch makes the collars clean again and stiff. They go back and they return, always wilted and soiled. Sing Li needs no further corroboration of the fact that the crowds are at work. But the Sing Li's of the world had a deeper purpose that sustained their unfulfilling and endless work. They endured their lives of drudgery because washing and ironing clothes was not an end in itself but the means toward providing for survival of their families, here or in Guangdong, and giving their children opportunities for a better life. John Young. Chinese Laundries, Tickets to Survival on Gold Mountain. Cypress, California, Yin and Yang Press, 2007. P. 222. To view entire poems.